Thank you for watching NTD Business Top Stories tonight. Pfizer allegedly looking into mutating COVID-19 in order to develop new vaccines. This according to a recently released undercover video. And we talked to Dr. Robert Malone, the pioneer of mRNA vaccine technology. About the Pfizer video, he calls what's shown in the video profoundly disturbing. AI program ChatGPT is transforming the business world. We speak to executives who are using it and look into what jobs it could potentially replace. And pharmacies facing staff shortages. Now two more stores are cutting hours and closing some locations. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Our top story today, a senior employee at Pfizer said the pharmaceutical company is looking into mutating COVID-19 in order to facilitate the development of new vaccines. This is according to a recent video released Wednesday by the non-profit journalism group Project Veritas. Here's NTD's Daniel Monahan. Jordan Tristian Walker is an alleged director of research and development at Pfizer. Walker discussed how Pfizer is dealing with the reality that their vaccines aren't as potent against emerging COVID variants. We're exploring, like, now, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can probably develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating viruses. The alleged Pfizer executive says the information is not something they share with the public and that the public, quote, won't like that. He went on to detail how Pfizer would carry out that kind of experiment, first using animals. The way it would work is like we put them in the virus in these monkeys. Okay. And then we successively like cause them to keep infecting each other. And we collect serial samples from them. And then the ones that are more infectious, like the virus, we'll put them in another monkey and just constantly actively mutate it. The alleged Pfizer executive then describes other ways Pfizer mutates the COVID virus. Well, you're not supposed to do gain function research with the viruses, like yeah. they recommend not. But you do like these like selected directional mutations to try to see if you can make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research I'm going about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There not be any more outbreaks because like Jesus Christ. Walker then touched upon regulation of the pharma industry. The Veritas journalist asked Walker how he feels about that quote revolving door. It's pretty good for the industry, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's bad for everyone else in America. Why is it bad for everybody else? Because if the regulators who have to approve our drugs know that once they stop being regulated, they want to work for the company, then I'm going to be as hard for the company. You know, we're doing their job. Right. Walker added that whatever happens with new variants, COVID is going to be a cash cow for Pfizer for a while going forward. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Project Veritas video has gotten nearly 19 million views as of today. Florida Senator Marco Rubio responded to the news. He sent a public letter to Pfizer CEO Albert Borla saying he was aware of troubling reports of Pfizer intending to mutate COVID-19. Rubio said, as has been proven time and time again, attempts to mutate a virus, particularly one as potent as COVID, are dangerous. If the claims detailed in the video are true, Pfizer has put its desire for profit over the concern of national and global health and must hold itself accountable. He also asked Borla to answer a series of questions, including whether Pfizer is currently or is planning to mutate the virus, and if the mutation is planned or happening, 
whether any federal officials are aware of the efforts or plans. And Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin said it's time for Congress to thoroughly investigate vaccine manufacturers and the entire COVID vaccine approval process. And earlier, I spoke to Dr. Robert Malone. He's a biochemist, and his early work helped develop mRNA vaccine technology. I asked him for his reactions to the Veritas Pfizer video. Here's what he told me. Frankly, my emotion uh, when I was first presented with the embargoed video was I, my reaction was entirely emotional. I was just stunned by what I was seeing in terms of the attitude and behavior, the, the corporate culture and the personality that seemed to be reflected in this person that was, you know, ostensibly a very senior worldwide research director responsible for RNA strategy. I mean, this is somebody who is in a position to profoundly influence our, all of our lives. Um, and he's describing a series of studies in behaviors and activities in Pfizer that appear on their face to be deeply corrupt. And uh, he's happy about it. He's casual. He's just joking about it. He shows absolutely no signs of remorse. The, the male uh, a reporter who's acting on behalf of Veritas, who I've come to understand later, I've actually spoken to him but not seen his image, uh, he's apparently an ex-Pfizer employee. So there's also this uh, esprit de corps that you can see in the video between two people that have worked for the same company. When Walker said, you know, quote, why don't we mutate it ourselves and preemptively develop vaccines? Now, you're a professional in this, uh, in this field. What is he talking about? Um, first off, let's let's be clear that the, the buried lead in all of this is that this is an implicit acknowledgement that Pfizer is not able to produce the product that would be necessary to get out ahead of this virus and allow people to be protected using a vaccine. This is the, what is being deployed here, what is being said is a implicit acknowledgement that the products aren't working and they can't make it them work without going to extraordinary measures of these genetic manipulations, which they hope might solve their problem of getting out ahead of the virus evolution. What they're describing is um, almost identical to what was done at the Wuhan, apparently done at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And serial passage, this infecting one monkey and then taking virus from that monkey and putting it into another and to another and to another, demonstrates, this is what bothers me the most, it demonstrates an immunologic naivete on, at Pfizer Remember, this is a senior Pfizer executive responsible for strategic planning. But what they seem to believe is that they can uh, generate mutant viruses, just as was done in Wuhan, uh, or appears to have been done in Wuhan, and then somehow obtain viruses that are more pathogenic or more infectious, that are escaping vaccination. And then once they've developed those, then they can potentially develop a vaccine against those so what they're, what they're really talking about is accelerating, attempting to accelerate in a more controlled environment using monkeys instead of humans, which have very different immune systems, uh, so that they can anticipate the evolution that the virus is going to take. Now, there's, there was these casual joking conversations about um, the release, the potential for inadvertent release of the virus into the population and how that could be good for Pfizer's business. They talk, he talks about a cash cow relationship where wouldn't it be great if they could design more pathogenic or more infectious virus 
and designed the vaccine. And then when, you know, it's, he leaves it a little ambiguous. Should that virus somehow enter the population, then they would already have the product for it. So this is, the, the slang that's often used is, this is a self-looking ice cream cone where they create the problem and the solution at the same time and then sell us the solution once the problem either manifests or somehow inadvertently ends up in the general population, such as happened in Wuhan. This, this is profoundly disturbing. Even, the, even just the fact that this gentleman would joke about this is profoundly disturbing. Somebody mentioned to me this morning, uh, if they're doing this kind of research uh, in labs, if it never leaks, what's the harm here? It always leaks. There, as we saw in Wuhan, the, the, the thesis here that there is perfect containment capabilities is clearly flawed. I heard a, a great metaphor for this. What we're dealing with, with this kind of gain of function research, you're engineering something that has the killing potential, the destructive potential equivalent to a major nuclear warhead. And um, it is sitting in a bench environment in which if anybody makes an inadvertent mistake, you can have a brief power fluctuation so the air pressures are no longer equalized and suddenly things that are a positive pressure to keep the virus in is suddenly reversed. Um, somebody can inadvertently throw a switch, open a door, like I said, tear a suit. And uh, to, to like to say that this is uh, benign, the only people that could say that would be the ignorant. Anybody who has worked in any of these facilities is familiar with what goes wrong and what can go wrong. It is grossly irresponsible for a pharmaceutical company driven by a profit motive who is not particularly invested in ensuring safety, as you can see from the gentleman's casual attitude, uh, to, to be doing this type of research that puts the entire population of the world at risk. That was just some of what he told me. We also talked about the censorship around this video by social media. To watch the full interview, go to ntd.com. U.S. regulators fast-tracked approval of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine to enable vaccine mandates. That's according to newly released emails. Publicly, regulators said they expected to finish reviewing Pfizer's vaccine license application by January 2022. But behind the scenes, top FDA officials were pushing to finish faster. In July 2021, the head of the review office, Dr. Marion Gruber, pushed back. She warned FDA officials against rushing the review. According to her, top FDA officials responded, saying, without a license, states can't require mandatory vaccination. At the time, the vaccines were authorized for emergency use, which generally doesn't allow mandates. A month later, in August, the FDA approved Pfizer's vaccine after bypassing its vaccine advisory panel. The approval triggered scores of mandates. One FDA official said the vaccine was approved in about 40% of the time it usually takes. Now turning our attention to the new powerful artificial intelligence tool, ChatGPT. It's proven smart enough to pass prestigious graduate-level exams, but not with particularly high marks. It recently passed law exams in four courses at the University of Minnesota and another exam at University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. At the U of M Law School, the bot performed on average at the level of a C-plus student, achieving a low but passing grade in all four courses. 
Over at Penn uh, Ivy League school, it earned a B to B minus grade in business management course exam at the Wharton School. A professor there says the bot did an amazing job at answering basic operations management questions, but struggled with more advanced prompts. He says it made surprising mistakes, though, with basic math mistakes that can be massive in significance. And meanwhile, news site BuzzFeed has announced is using artificial intelligence to create content. BuzzFeed plans to work with ChatGPT to create quizzes and help with brainstorming, though the company says it won't use AI when writing news stories. BuzzFeed's chief executive says AI-inspired content will now be a part of their core business. Media industry leaders say artificial intelligence will revolutionize the content creation business. The Associated Press began using artificial intelligence to automate news stories nearly a decade ago. ChatGPT appears to be taking the business world by storm. You ask it any question, it can give you a very detailed answer, tell it to write an essay within certain parameters, and it will write that essay for you can even generate long lines of usable computer code, all in seconds. And we talked to Ravin J. Suthaisen, a senior partner at HR and financial consulting firm Mercer. Mercer is a massive firm that operates in 130 countries. J. Suthaisen was at Davos last week where there were many conversations around chat GPT, where he says many executives are experimenting with it. He gives us an idea of how much potential this tool has. We heard of executives who had used ChatGPT to write a press release and were astounded by the accuracy of the, of the quality of that press release with the tone of the organization being captured, the organization's color palette being accurately captured. And so instead of in the old days where you know, the, uh, the public affairs team might take you know, a half day to sort of pull together the press release, now it was taking them an hour because the ChatGPT had assembled a 90% accurate uh, first pass. Now, the potentials of this tool doesn't stop there. We also spoke to Hartej Sani, CEO of cybersecurity firm Zokio. His company has been using ChatGPT since it came out. It's been generating creative marketing ideas and auditing smart contracts for them. They're also thinking about using it as a customer service chatbot on the firm's website. Sony calls ChatGPT incredible. For definitely well over the last decade, using the word Google has been a verb. You would say, hey, just Google it. If you have any problems, you have a question, Google it. And for the first time in my life in the last decade, we have found a viable replacement for this verb, Google it. And now going to ChatGPT is a viable, not only an alternative, but it's, it's so much better. So Google can give you a list of websites. Uh, They might potentially have the answer to your question, but you have to dig through those sites to find the answer, sometimes spending hours. Whereas ChatGPT basically scans all those websites for you in seconds, and then it directly gives you the answer. And we talked to more people about the potentials of ChatGPT. CEO Brian Horning is the founder of Exact IT Solutions, a cybersecurity firm. It saves us a tremendous amount of time. Um, I mean, to get meeting notes in, in a summary format, you know, sent to you fairly quickly within minutes of the meeting ending. When we use it for creating marketing, it gives us ideas. You can ask ChatDP, like, hey, what would this customer with this problem 
you know, be saying or be looking for. And then it gives you back some ideas on how you can start creating your marketing that, you know, resonates with that person with that problem. Horning says that ChatGPT has not replaced any of his employees yet. His firm is mostly comprised of cybersecurity specialists. Their jobs are not going anywhere. But he also employs several marketing and support people. Their jobs might be at risk. I don't know if we'd ever get to the point where we would lay somebody off because this tool has has replaced that role. Um, but tasks, will, tasks that they do will certainly be replaced. But what can we train them on to do so they can maintain their employment with us? You know, so it's just skilling up their level in our company as we find things to make them more efficient. That's kind of how we look at it. Many are worried about what kind of jobs ChatGPT could replace. To find out, we asked ChatGPT itself to see what it says. ChatGPT told NTD there are certainly some jobs it could completely outright take over. For example, data entry and analysis jobs, language translation jobs, customer service jobs, content generation jobs, forecasting. It can do all these things more quickly, accurately, and it can do it cheaper than a human can. ChatGPT told us that AI, though, can't replace human intelligence. Instead, it's a tool that augments and assists human intelligence. It says that the impact of AI on the job market is a complex and nuanced topic, and that lost jobs may be offset by the creation of new jobs. With the world appearing to near an economic downturn, around a third of executives are redesigning work to reduce their dependence on people. This is according to recent data from Mercer. Mercer also says that over 57% of executives plan to increase the use of AI and automation if the recession deepens. Moving on, Texas Senator Ted Cruz is calling for new action on China. This week, he introduced a bill that would block the U.S. from selling oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to Beijing, as well as Chinese Communist Party-owned companies. It's called the Protecting America's Strategic Petroleum Reserve from China Act. It's co-sponsored by 15 other Republican senators. Last year, a report revealed the Biden administration sold nearly 6 million barrels of reserve oil to Chinese state-owned oil company Sinopec. Cruz's bill resembles a measure passed on January 12th by an overwhelming bipartisan vote. It would stop the Energy Department from selling reserve oil to any entity under the ownership, control, or influence of the Chinese Communist Party. Biden is expected to veto the House bill if it passes Congress. And on to Wall Street. Stocks closed higher today, ending a rocky week. The Dow added 29 points, or one-tenth of a percent. S&P gained 10 points, or a quarter of a percent. NASDAQ rose 109 points, or 1%. Taking a break now, if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntda.com. Still to come, the longest-running show on Broadway celebrates a record-setting milestone. We hear from fans who are going to see it one last time before it closes. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. You might want to check your pharmacy's hours before you pick up your next prescription. 
CVS and Walmart are reducing pharmacy hours amid a staff shortage in the industry. Beginning in March, Walmart pharmacies will close two hours earlier at 7 in the evening. CVS says it will shift or cut hours at about 6,000 locations, also starting in March. Walgreens made similar changes last year, and locally owned pharmacies are facing the same problem. The National Community Pharmacists Association says more than three-quarters of pharmacies in the U.S. report staffing difficulties. Struggling housewares retailer Bed Bath & Beyond says it can no longer pay its debts. According to an SEC filing Thursday, the home goods company says it defaulted on credit line with J.P. Morgan on around January 13th. The retailer says it could be forced to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy reorganization. The company also added that it's cutting costs, closing stores, and lowering capital expenditures. Shares plunged more than 20% following the news. Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Phantom of the Opera is the longest-running show in Broadway history. Yesterday, the musical celebrated its 35th anniversary. NTT's Andrew Thomas has the details. The Tony-winning musical debuted on Broadway on January 26, 1988. Since then, it has grossed over $675 million. According to the Broadway League, that makes it the highest-grossing show in Broadway history. Obviously, I'm, I'm from the USA, so I've seen the tour many times. I saw the first uh, U.S. tour uh, probably as a young teen, and that's when I became a fan of Phantom. I think there's something that everyone can kind of relate to in terms of like just, I think the darkest part of us, like our, the loneliness, maybe the rejection, maybe feeling like um, you don't, feeling like you don't belong. I think we all relate to some part of that. The Phantom of the Opera was originally slated to close on February 18th, but the musical has reportedly enjoyed a box office upswing and received an eight-week extension. Buying a ticket, just trying to make sure I get it before it goes. I don't want to miss it. I've seen it like four times. I love it. It's one of my most favorite shows. The show is, is a perfect show. You know, it just has all the elements. It's high romance, and it just works. <laughs> you know, And that is the true reason of, of the magic of the Phantom of the Opera and why it's lasted all these years. The final performance of the Phantom of the Opera is set for April 16th at Manhattan's Majestic Theater. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's all the stories we have today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. We read every email. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you Monday.